1: On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Sable. And Sable was raised by a narcissistic mother who liked to pit her children against each other. It's a story of control, scapegoating, and finding strength within the dysfunction. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of narcissistic abuse. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad, and thanks for tuning into this episode. So, what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode with Betty, I just wanted to thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also a reminder if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Castbox, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, please do leave us a five-star written review as it helps out the show a lot when it comes to rankings. Now if you haven't been to our website recently, please do go there if you want to be part of our show. Go to our website at narcissistapocalypse.com. There's a button there that says guest form. Press it, then there'll be a guest form. Fill that whole thing out, and then away we'll go. We'll start a process, and hopefully one day you'll be on the show. But the quickest way to be part of our show is to also go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com and to read a letter to your narcissist and be part of our Letters to Our Narcissist compilation episode. We have a voicemail recorder on our website there, and you know it says, send voicemail. You press on that button. And away you'll go. It's the second time I've said that. You press it. It records the five minutes. So if you need to record for 10, record for 10. You press it twice. Three times, 15 minutes. Do it as many times as you need. We are accumulating these letters for a volume three of that episode. So send in those voicemails. But if you want myself or my old pal Melissa to read your letter instead, just send it to NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com. Other things that are going on on the website, we're offering high conflict parenting courses that can be found at narcissistapocalypse.com/slash courses. Yes. We have now partnered with an online parenting company called Online Parenting, and many of the courses we are offering were created by Bill Eddy. And if you've listened to an episode last year with a divorce lawyer named Helen, you'll know that Bill Eddy is an expert in dealing with these individuals in court, and now he's helped create many parenting courses as well to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. And what else do we have here? We have our other podcast, our sister podcast, Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A. It is now available for your listening pleasure, where we talk to therapists and coaches And lawyers and researchers about narcissistic abuse in the upcoming episode this week, we'll be discussing attachment styles and trauma bonding with Tali Kadosh. And if you're looking for a therapist or coach like Tali Kadosh from our Q&A podcast or others like her, please do go to abusetherapy.org. That is abusetherapy.org. That is where we have a directory for therapists and coaches. If we don't have someone in your area, let us know, and we will help find someone for you using abusetherapy.org. Helps support the show. But do you know what else helps support the show? our patreon yes we started a patreon if you want to hear episodes that never made it to air follow up episodes with former guests and much much more join our patreon we're releasing new content on there every week so to help support the show become a patron of our patreon at patreon.com slash narcissist apocalypse and this week we had a couple episodes up one of them was a pop culture episode where me and my old pal melissa discussed livia soprano from the sopranos that was a fun episode to do as well as an episode that never made it to air and what else do we have here before we begin we have our instagram and our youtube channel we're making fun fun pop culture narcissist based videos on there you can find them both at narcissist apocalypse if you go to youtube or to instagram and that is it everyone i'm gonna get out of my way and your way here Is my conversation with Sable. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. With me today, I have Sable. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I am doing well. I'm doing my best to stay out of the heat today. We're having a little bit of a heat wave. I know you are too. And today we are going to uh, listen to your story about being raised in a narcissistic household, specifically, I guess, your narcissistic uh, mother. And we are going to uh, refer to your mother today as T-Pain. That is the nickname that you uh, gave her because you do not uh, feel that Uh, she deserves the name uh, mom anymore. And I'm sure there is many people out there that feel uh, the exact same way. And, um, I'm now just going to get out of my way and your way. And the floor is now yours.
0: All right. So, um, yeah, I was, I was born into a narcissistic home. Um, My father had me when they were teenagers, and um, I don't think that helped. (laughs) Um, But um, learning later um, how narcissistic it actually was was uh, the biggest eye-opener for me and everything that I actually dealt with. Um, So when I was three, my father left me. and my mother had um taken care of me. I know that she had always done the best she knew how um when I was younger um, but as time grew it was it it definitely became more. Selfishly motivated on her part. Um, I know when she met a man who was 10 years older than her, uh, lived uh, in the same neighborhood complex, and when I was a baby, she would leave me in the crib um, sleeping while she would go and spend hours with this guy. And my grandma actually, um, she told me this because... She came over, surprised, and she, my mom wasn't there. <laughs> um, so I know she was kind of like, she was kind of after her own heart, um, which when you have a kid, it's just, it shouldn't be that way. Um, and so she ended up marrying this man. Um, and he adopted me as his own. Um, he is amazing. He was, he's a war vet. He had been through a lot. Um, I know he wasn't the best father I could have ever had, but, um, he's always been consistent and always there for me and always understanding and listening and loving me um, and hearing me out. Um, however, uh that wasn't the case for my mom. She may have been jealous of that quality. I don't know. Um, but having them get married, and um, he had two kids of his own. And those two kids, um, they... They were not very nice to me, um, so it was they were manipulative, and uh, they probably were going through their own understanding of what actually was going on too. Uh, they were definitely older, but um, they were.
1: So how, how old how old were you when your mom got remarried to this man, or when T Pain got remarried to this man?
0: yeah i was um i was three mm-hmm. uh when all of that happened so I know within a year it was like married adopted and then and how three old are years your, how later. old
1: are your siblings
0: um so my oldest uh is oh gosh, so he would have been twelve when I was three mm-hmm. i think and then um my my sister, my step-sister, adopted sister, she is two years older than me, so she would have been uh, five.
1: So for all intents and purposes, you're growing up with them, and to you, they, they're they not even in a certain way adopted or half uh, siblings, because it's pretty much all you know is having Correct. them. Correct, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, where, where maybe for the twelve year old it's it's quite awkward, or has a different impact on on him because at this point uh, we have no idea what he kind of has gone through, as well.
0: Right, he knows yeah. right from wrong, but nothing around it makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then there's there's the five year old, the sister who you know is taking his lead. Um. So I was, I was kind of just dropped into this situation and not really welcomed with open arms or, you know, it was just blame me because I was just there. And so it was, it was very, very, uh, unsettling at a young age. Um, I did have my biological father's parents who, um, they were fighting for me for a long time and they were my safe place. Um I mean, I was their pride and joy. They'd take videos of me and it was just that was a safe loving place. So I knew what that was. Um but at home it was completely different. It was the dog eat dog world. <laughs> and um it was weird. Um but yeah. Um eventually my T Pain and um my dad who adopted me, they had a child and um that was kind of my mom or T Pain, I keep you know what <laughs> it happens. Um, she birthed me, but she's the pain of my life. So um she, They had a kid, and that was, like, her way of making up for all the things that she did in the six years of having me wrong, and she spoiled the crap out of her and gave her everything and kind of used her as a way to socially adapt in the world and, I don't know, like... It, if I understood all aspects of narcissism and why they do the way, what they do, um, it would be much clearer for me, but um, really, it was her, she was her goat, um, and later in the story, you know, I'll, I'll explain more, but she pretty much did eventually the same thing to my little sister that she did to me, And um, but jumping back into the past, it's a lot. So, you know, as time went on, we, we all moved in together in one house. Um, at that point, I didn't see my grandparents as much. Um, and for the longest time I, I was blaming them, like they've abandoned me. And, um, I, I never understood why. Um, and then, you know, things started to unravel. Like, um, my older sister was, was very jealous and very manipulative um, I couldn't go through school the way a normal person would go through school. I couldn't make friends. She um, had told everybody that I was toxic and I was uh, just anything uh, and everything. And um, I would wonder why people are being weird towards me and why I can't. Yeah, you know, I didn't know. I I had no idea what was going on. Um, and also when we moved in together, my, my step adopted brother, um, he thought it would be okay to touch me inappropriately. And, um, it became a thing that, that was happening until I was 12 years old. Um, and at that point, he had a girlfriend. who was a freshman in high school, and um, they got pregnant. <laughs> so she kind of saved my life there on that. Um, but I was still still dealing with uh, my sister, and, and after she had left school, kids were mean to me then. They were bullying me, and I just never understood like, what went on, why, and until, like, when I graduated high school, she goes, oh, I'm sorry, I was just really jealous of you, and I went to college, and I, you know, and and I just realized, you know, how hard that must have been, <laughs> like, which is great, but she still is doing the same things to this day, um, but then, you know, growing up PPa never allowed like my my sister and I to even be close um, she acted like uh, my sister was my dad's girlfriend and wouldn't let my dad be her dad and She wouldn't let me have a sister and she wouldn't allow any of that. She would, she would break people down to where they felt like they were nothing. And my, my older sister, she was bulimic and she had alcoholism and, um, at a very young age because of it. And She would take it all out on me and, you know, I kind of feel bad for her in a way because she doesn't know anything else, but, um, you know, I, my, my dad and I really took the brunt of T-Pain and we were her, we were her goat. Um, what's the, what's the word? Scapegoat. Um, what, yeah, we yeah. were her scapegoat. goat yeah. and she would make me clean the toilet with my older sister's toothbrush because she was bulimic and we'd get puke all over the toilet and she was just mad because she ate the food in the house. and the how. and would put me up to it instead of talking about it and making sure that she was okay like she's a human being and she's going through something hard and she would just pen us you can go into and oh stable stable you can go into (laughs) you can go into your sister's room and um get whatever you want start start a war this is fun for me and you guys will never be close. And she got my dad broken down so far to where he doesn't even talk. When I met, when he first adopted me, he was so willing to throw us in the pool and, um, you know, play hide seek And, throw a ball and be a, a a human being with kids. And they later got a divorce like three years ago. And he, before at the end of their marriage, he was quiet. He wouldn't talk. He wouldn't laugh. He sat in a chair all day long and didn't move. Um, It was awful watching, and I felt that same way. She took away friendships from me. She took away family members. She broke me down to where I had no self-worth, and I, I was scared to go to college, and I was scared to grow, and I was scared to even ask for the little things that people actually ask for in life as far as, like, How do I get to where I want to be and what do I want to be? And how, you know, um, ruining relationships with friends that I've made in the past, um, telling them too much personal to where they, it's like taking what she does and how she reacts a situation that's normal, me as a small child walking up to a teacher thinking that when another kid was hugging that teacher and me thinking that kid bit the teacher, I bit the teacher, and she just, um, like, that. I thought that was a form of affection. I didn't know, and she took something like that and twisted it to where she looked amazing. I looked like a terrible kid. It's like this This is the kind of stuff that happened all my life um, into my adulthood uh, with, with family members and friends and um, especially after um, being 18 years old, 17 years old and getting raped and having to um, have a child from that rape. Um, she used my adopted, my, my parents that I picked out, um, for her own gain and did not support me at all through the, the rape and the, Oh gosh, like the turmoil that comes with that, the adoption, the abandonment, the all of it um from the rape. I was able to tell her about uh what Chris or what my stepbrother was doing. And she then would talk about beating him up and tell me that they're gonna go hang out and um she's going to do this and this and this with them, go to the pumpkin patch and take them to the pool and things that she doesn't actually do with me. And it,
1: she said she was going to do that with the adopted family.
0: Um, no, with my brother. Oh, my stepfather. After I told her about what happened to me, it just blew my mind. Um, slowly after all these different instances, Oh, with the adopted fam, uh, with the adopted family that I picked out, um, she had reached out to them beyond me after explaining to her that she needs to go through me. I don't feel comfortable with her going directly to them without involving me. Um, for good reason, um, and she went beyond me to plan a trip to go see them, and that's what she did. And I was—I remember the phone call. I was—I was actually sick, and she was calling, and I thought she was calling to check on me and say, "Sable, how are you doing? Do you need anything?" I—I I would say, you know, no, thank you. I'm fine. I. Um, I'm okay, and then she went straight into telling me, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to Texas to see uh, uh, to see your son that you gave up for adoption." And I already talked to their family, and it was like she—it's like it, she loves rubbing it in my face. I set a boundary, and she takes it and she rubs it in my face. The exact opposite of, you know, what, what a parent should be doing. It's just, it's awful. Um, my dad was, he was not comfortable enough saying, in standing up for me or any of his kids, and Um, his kids lost a lot of respect for him for that. Um, but I, I, they weren't, they weren't the full on scapegoats. Um, no one talks about it. No one, no one acknowledges it. Um, everyone caters to this behavior and, so it's it's hard to get some sort of closure from it and it, i had to gray rock everybody because of it um, the the relationship with the adopted family and i which is it's an open adoption um it's it's more difficult than it should be because of her um it's it's a lot it's a lot of years of a lot of abuse and a lot of crossing boundaries and um suppressing feelings and um
1: when it comes to your siblings uh, i guess your older sister um and i guess pitting all of you against each other uh, did it, you know, your sister apologized to you um, years later, but at the same time is still in it and can't, uh, it seems she's still doing the same types of patterns over and over again. Is she conscious of what has really happened um, in everyone's role? Or she just um, saw that this, she didn't do this properly or she didn't treat you well and has in a sense not looked inward as to why that has happened
0: Uh, you're you're right on about that. Um she's conscious of her of her action. Um she's definitely I think reflected within herself and and it's very narrow. Um she has not dug deep and does not realize why these things have happened. Um
1: like does she have a relationship I, with your with uh with T Pain?
0: She does, yes. And I, I was very surprised. I was very surprised. And she actually would invite her to family functions, uh, like her her child's birthdays and um they would go um tubing, uh snow tubing together and um, they would have visits together and you know when when you're when you're at a family function or when I'm at a family function and around the family members that T Pain has affected. Um she, my grandma who she won't give her great grandma's wedding ring back because of selfish reasons. Um, and my my adopted grandma, she's up there. She just wants her great grandma's ring. And, um, adding that stress is awful. And, you know, being, and being around the people who have been affected by T pain and going into these family, um, get togethers and functions like the birthdays, it's more, most specifically is the birthdays. Um, it's it's hard to be around that and having nobody say anything and having ca- like my sister see um not see how it affects everybody and not even understand how much it affects everybody i mean my dad who has to see her at his actual blood daughter's and grandchildren's birthday parties and his ex-wife who has caused him so much pain how can he enjoy those little things how can he enjoy his kids and the joy that life brings when the biggest pain is around and constantly is around and unless unless my sister sees why like you said and digs deep and why is this happening and why then everyone's going to be so uncomfortable. And she just adds to the problem.
1: So so when your relationship with her is broken down, because it was interesting to me, what you said was that, um, you know, you are the scapegoat of the family, you and your stepdad and your older sister uh, is jealous of you, which is really interesting um, just to kind of hear that, cause you know, she's, you know, I like to look at it in the sense of like, she's angry at you for something that wasn't your fault and, uh, or whatever was going on and whatever, whatever her relationship with, uh, T-Pain was. And instead of taking her anger out on the r- person that should have the anger taken out on, she's still... So far in it that she's taken it out on the wrong person her whole entire life um and just kind of doesn't know really um still kind of what's going on uh does your younger sister have the same issues with, do you have the same issues with your younger sister or, is, or does she have um was she the complete golden child of your younger sister? Because you said earlier that you said earlier that eventually your, your uh, T Pain started to uh, treat her the same way she treated you. So if that happened, what changed?
0: Yeah. Um, so when I mentioned um, them getting a divorce, my uh, T Pain and my my dad, uh, when they got a divorce, um, T Pain met a man another man and um he has three kids uh all girls and um
1: so at this point how old are you
0: this is current day okay this is current day okay um and how old is your younger
1: sister compared to you
0: um she is so i'm 29 and she is 22 okay um so they she, she pain was uh, babying my younger sister up until 2 years ago till she met this man
1: and, your relationship, and, and your, your relationship with your sister up until that point was how would you how would you characterize
0: it it a roller coaster <laughs> um she had always been my safe place beyond my grandparents. Uh, So I took on the role of really protecting her from everything happening in the house, Um, doing my best to protect her from my older brother, doing my best not to let my older sister bully her like I was bullied. I took on this role, this parenting role of nurturing and protecting her and making sure she is developing properly and um, finding friends. And, you know, I took her out one day and we went around the neighborhood and kind of went friend shopping. I'm like, you know, you, you've you got to have some friends. Um, so kind of at an early age, I, I really did know what was going on and was able to help her. Um, at, at that point, though, when he was using her, Um, for social um, status and whatever selfish reason and motive she had. Um, My little sister did have a lot of friends, and uh, some were were uh, sheriffs of the town and, you know, detectives. And that was a sense of you know, a lot of them were, were well off. and they, you know, it was a sense, it was like a, it was all fake. (laughs) And, um, eventually my little sister was fed while I was just kind of out there doing, trying to get away from it all and figure out life. Um, Pain really got into my little sister's head, and it created space between us. And space that was so big that neither of us really understood what was happening. And you know, it 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 wasn't really fights. It was it was more like questions, like, "Why are you not coming to family?" Functions? Why, you know? And she was very confused, and I didn't know how to explain it. I didn't know how to put my thumb on exactly. I mean, it—it's a big statement to come out and say. She pays the reason. I mean, it's just
1: how much fear did you have just being able to say that, uh, knowing that there could be a huge blowback or repercussions? Did you? were you still at that point scared of not having a family in that sense of like not being in contact with any of them or not even having an option to?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, When I kind of had a little taste of it when I was 18, after I gave uh, my son up for adoption uh, from the rape, I was, I was kicked out of the house because I didn't want to take birth control. I—it's just a personal preference. I still feel the way I do about it, and but at 18, I kind of was was kicked out into the world. I lived in the side of a a, a tiny little motel, in the side of a bar. Shouldn't have even been there. It was sketchy, but I worked as hard as I could as an aide, and you know, I did what I could. So I kind of, I was already really scared of the world (laughs) and facing it. Um, you know, she didn't really set me up for success to look good for Amber even like it was so easy for her to just make me look so bad. Um, and control that relationship and, um, it was years. It was a good long, uh, from the time my little sister was in high school until recently. Um, we, my little sister and I have been fighting for each other for about two years now. And finally we're at a, at a place where we can talk and we can tell each other that we love each other unconditionally. And we're, you know, and, and T Pain left, or my little sister, and just abandoned her. Um, just recently to be with this family, and the hardest part about all of it, and we're my little sister and I are not exactly on the same page yet, um, but we're still fighting for each other, and that's that's what I'm holding on to. But um,
1: she's beginning to she, see.
0: She is. She's beginning to to see and feel and know. And I don't really think that until she has her own kids, she'll be able to take down that that wall and that barrier and that blocking it out. Because um, she still kind of has T pain on a pedestal at this point. You know, she it's she's blaming the boyfriend. She's blaming ah. um, everything else around that surrounds t pain instead of realizing these are her choices she's an adult this is what she has done she has abandoned you and I don't want to be the one to say that because you know we're still building our relationship mm-hmm. and you know she's got to figure it out and I don't and I don't think I I because I've tried I've tried it was blue in the face and it just It just caused more distance and I'd I'd rather have her close. Um,
1: So when you're having all of this mistrust going on in your household, you can't trust a soul um, and you obviously cannot trust your mom with your feelings or anything along those lines, I guess at what point, I don't know if this happened for you, but during high school maybe or junior high, uh, did you have any friends and did you have friends that you could confide in that could, um, that you could point these things out to and they could say, yes, like I believe you, what is going on, uh, I see it myself, or did you have none of that?
0: I didn't have any of that, sadly. I was, I was, I was by my, so T-Pain, she, she had three other kids. She had her golden child and she had two kids who were just completely not hers, out of control. She wanted to control every aspect of their life. So with me being hers, it was easier for her just to ground me and keep me at home And I was grounded for stupid, the stupidest things, you know, anything, anything and everything. I was grounded. So I had no real opportunity and chance to live uh, a normal childhood.
1: And your siblings didn't Um, didn't have the same rules as you?
0: Absolutely not. No, absolutely not.
1: So did you, do you never had like sleepovers with other kids or any uh, regular uh, relationships that one might typically have, uh, as a teenager?
0: Not, not very often. No, um, she would have, so T-Pain, she's very religious. Um, and so she would have kids from the church come over and stay the night and, and tell them to play and spend the night with me. And it was always just weird. Um, you know, it wasn't it was just weird. I I don't know how else to put it. Um I it wasn't a normal sleepover. My sleepovers were at grandma and grandpa's house. That was the best time. The biggest memories of sleepovers that I ever had.
1: And did you confide in them about what was going on or did you stay, did you stay quiet as well?
0: I stayed quiet. Um I don't think I understood that it was wrong.
1: So, you, did, I, you, did you battle depression at all?
0: Um, I may have unknowingly, um, but I was, you know, I was a fighter. I, I would find any other way to distract myself with what was going on. So, that'd be writing in my room by myself, um... That be playing with tadpoles, you know, in the back pond. You know, I would find something to learn and to to distract myself. I, I drew a lot. Um, I wrote. I, you know, I.
1: What did you write and draw? About?
0: Um. Sometimes I would write about. You know, I blamed myself a lot as a child. So a lot of my writings were like, why, uh, questions, and, you know, it it was really dark. (laughs) It was very dark. Um, So probably I did battle depression. I probably most likely did. Um, I just, and then draw, I, I would draw it anything and everything. I was so creative. I would find sticks and make a little, um, a little tiny display or, you know, I, I do, I do just about anything and everything, uh, creative. Um, now my, my parents wouldn't let, or they wouldn't, if I did something like got a job or, uh, volunteered somewhere, then I, I was able to leave the house. But then I'd have to come right back home afterwards. So um, that helped. Um, once I hit that age to be able to get out, um, I was I was volunteering at our, at our local arts castle. And um, that was a great way for me to get out there. But even then, it, it was, you know, I was still a little socially awkward. And um, it was just something I could do. It was the kids' art room. And I would... Do arts and crafts with kids for hours. Um, so, I'd do something like that. And then, um, they had, they had no real <laughs> idea of what I was doing. I just, I have to go volunteer. Okay, well, what time to what time? It was all numbers. Um, come back at this time. Um, and, you know, I just, I think the best way to explain it is I was just laced On this game of life, (laughs) and you know, I could roll the dice and maybe move a block, and maybe I had to go, you know, pay a hundred dollars. You know, it was
1: you had your taxes. Did you? Yeah. Did you daydream a lot during that time of like a a future and what you wanted it to look like?
0: Um, yeah, there was this, yeah, I did. There was a game that was pretty popular. I don't know if, um, anyone remembers it, but it was, uh, a house game. So you pick, um, your house and I,
1: I remember this game.
0: It, yeah, Yeah.
1: <laughs> you live in like, a mansion with a guy named John, that game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. So, so, like, I would do stuff like that, um, but I, I never really like dreamt of a family, like dreamt of a family or anything. That that was just like more so like the fun of it, just keeping up with the trends and trying to be a part of something, you know. Um, but it was even even when I was out on my own, I'm like, I don't. I don't see me having kids, like, this rape was enough, like, I don't want a family, I don't, you know, I don't, I just, I just want to live my life to the best of my ability and try to experience every little thing that I can. Um, That was a little dangerous, but it did lead me to my husband who I have now. I was, I was, um, hugely in the music scene after, um, after I was free. <laughs> I, I like to put it, I was free. Um, so we met, um, at, uh, at a, one of his shows, Ethan drummer. And, um, we just, we he was he was just he didn't want to meet anybody. I didn't want to meet anybody. So we were on the p- same page, and I think that's kind of what drew us into each other. And we both ended up just being really, really good for each other, and allowing each other to grow and heal. And um, we he had some experiences in his life, um, child of divorce. Um, so we were able to kind of break each other down and build each other back up. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's amazing what I got through and I'm sure he can say the same since we've been to, with each other and, um.
1: Were there any other people in between or did you just become like the luckiest person in the world that somehow after everything that you had been through and whatever issues you were bringing in that you really possibly lucked out with a one in, you know, a thousand shot here? The other 999 could have been terrible for you and you could have fallen into the same uh patterns that you were before or were you kind of mentally knew um what you were looking for and what to look out for were you kind of uh i'm not going to say grown but uh i'm not gonna use the word smart either just aware of like what was what was toxic at that point and what you needed to stay away from
0: that's a really good question um I did have my one bad relationship. Um, this guy was the epitome of T-Pain, but not religious. (laughs) I mean, it was awful. I mean, he took from me a little bit more from what T-Pain took from me. And, um, that actually, though, was the point where I knew that this is wrong. This, that nobody, I should be treated like this. Like, that was just my snapping point. And that's, that's when I was like, okay, you know, this, we're not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not getting in a relationship. I need, I need to do some soul searching. And really experience life for myself and not with somebody because obviously this, this is just not working out. I, I mean, he was an alcoholic. He was abusive. It was always about him. Um, it was, it was constantly just, he was just a vampire. Constantly just sucking the life out of me. Although his family was awesome, um, I, I his family was really good to me. Um, and they all knew how bad my family was to me. They all knew. Well, you're, you know, we're gonna we're gonna help you. Though, you know, we wish we weren't like helping you as much as we were because, you know, I think that I had no other choice at that point. Um, Supporting myself since I was 18 was exhausting. And I think that all of that situation that had occurred with that boyfriend who who was just a repeat of, the narcissistic behavior that I was used to, um, it opened up my eyes even more and also gave me a safe place to where I can get back on my feet where I need to be. (laughs) So I, I don't look at it as bully being a bad thing. And, um, I, I think I, I kind of break it down to, you know, we all have that one bad relationship, (laughs) that we learn from of what not to do. Um, As sad as that is.
1: (laughs) So when you met your, uh, I guess, current husband, uh, what were your biggest issues going in? What do you feel has been healed by your uh, relationship uh, with your current husband uh and what are things that are you're still having uh, trouble with and I think you said you've since become a mom, correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and, and what has uh, I
1: guess motherhood and having children, what have you kind of done differently? And what uh you know, what did you learn about your abuse once you had those kids and could really understand things I guess a little bit better or see things more clear
0: yeah I definitely learned my self worth first and foremost Um, trust came after that being able to trust again um, building healthy relationships knowing even how to start to do that Um,
1: how do you start to do that
0: Slowly, not opening up about all this trauma that I've been holding in, (laughs) but getting to know that other person and um, really um, listening and, you know, continuing, it's Watering gar- the garden of of relationships and um, just slowly and
1: but along the lines of like healthy relationships don't start based upon the shared trauma but let's start based on shared interest and shared likes and shared things that um, we both enjoy.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm learning that when you instantly go into a relationship and bring up, it's it's a turnoff for a lot of people. It's a lot for them to take in, and although they might not think differently of you, it's it's just a lot to process. I mean, for myself, it's a lot to process. So I can't expect just like putting that on somebody to hopefully build a. A healthy relationship to, you know, process that as well, because <laughs> there are people who care, who are good, and will slowly um, hear you out when it gets to the point of of being able to open up about that stuff, and it and it kind of for me. I've learned to let somebody else open up first. And then uh, if I feel like I need to share, then I will share. So it's that selfless um, ping pong. You're just, you, you know, you're, you're kind of going back and forth. Um, because of that, I've gained a whole new mom, which she is awesome, and I call her Mama B. and she is just – her mom had left when she was really young, and she said she always wanted a mom. So she, we're kind of – we're not building that relationship off of trauma because we built it off of trust first. And then the trauma thing came later, and then we've just grown from there. And it's blossomed into this family now. Like, she, we are each other's family at this point, and we can fulfill those, those voids, and we can add happiness, and, you know, just being able to build that relationship slowly and... Um my son, sorry uh that I have now with my husband, can build um, a relationship and have that grandmother figure and you know she can feel that as well, so um, it took years it took um her and I about. I would say six years to get to the point of, okay, you're my mama. And she's like, okay, you're my daughter. <laughs> um,
1: but as far as um, learning about what happened and seeing it from a different point of view, uh, once you had children, what was, I guess, the biggest things you started to notice that you didn't receive, and where did you ever get resentment or uh, an anger again, or anything like that? Once you had children, uh, in the sense oh, of how you felt about the situation,
0: absolutely, absolutely. I, I would, I would be, but I would step away and just kind of breathe. But I, I mean, I didn't get the guidance. I didn't get the love, the freedom to be who I was. I didn't get the knowledge to succeed in life. Um, And, you know, I have to kind of approach uh, my parenting a little slower. Um, Whereas, like, my husband, he's like, full hands on deck. Like, this is my first kid. I'm ready. And. He's so excited about, uh, for me, I was a little slower about it. I mean, I love being a mom, and I take so much pride and joy being a mom, Um, especially having given a child up. That definitely fuels my passion for being the best mom that I can be. I want to set that example. And... um, but I do go a little slower um things are a little a little more emotional for me um, but it I've learned what not to do, and I've learned um, in my career of being a caregiver uh different um, healthy aspects and different families, um, I've picked up things along the way and I've really taken it, taken it in and asked questions, um, as far as like, you know, what, what do you, what, what do you do with your child when you're home on a weekend, you know, I'm just, I'm like i I'm a caregiver. So I used to take care of kids with disabilities and elderly. And, you know, I've gained a lot of wisdom being in families where even in the elderly homes, their kids actually come and visit them and um, care for them and want the best for them. And they're very hands-on about their care and their love. And it's unconditional. And, um, same with the the families that the kids, you know, they're all very hands-on, like, okay, my kid has a disability. I want to make sure I set up my child for success. Um, that's helped me learn a lot and has made my, this process of being a first time parent, um, having gone through what I've gone through a lot easier. I'm just knowing, um, but I do go a little slower. I'm a, I'm a little bit slower paced as far as um, me being hands-on. So, you know.
1: and w- I w- Sorry, what was oh, the biggest uh, catalyst for you to uh, go? Are you, are you completely no contact with your family? Uh, well, at least uh, T-Pain?
0: Absolutely. Um the only person I talk to is my dad who adopted me and my little sister. Um and the catalyst to that was uh, I I went about a year um to start without talking to T Parent. and she um asked me if I could go to a counseling session with her to maybe talk through some things um and get on the same page and you know, me being the optimistic person I am, I said, yes, <laughs> I'd love that. Um, so I went to this counseling session with her, and the counselor had asked about Um, my son who I gave up for adoption and if she would be willing to take my lead. And if he came to town to visit, if, um, if I didn't want to visit him, would she not go as well and support my decision? And she just said, no. And she started crying in the session and made it about her and said, well, I have a relationship with this family. And the counselor and I just kind of looked at each other and I, I just, I know I had this look of defeat and I, that was the catalyst. I knew that nothing was going to change that. This is so embedded inside of her that I can't, there's nothing I can do. I, I, I can go to counseling session after counseling. Nothing will change. She will always be self that selfish and that self-motivated. And there will always be a tornado of events happening all around her.
1: And did you eventually hear through the grapevine after the fact when you did go no contact with her? Did you flat out say it or did you just kind of... Uh, l- just not respond.
0: Oh, I I I didn't ghost her. I did tell her. Okay, and um, I I I told her, you know, it's this isn't good for me. I this isn't healthy. We need, you know, I need some space. And um, she tried sending cards. Um, and she. And it was just, one of the cards said, I know where you live, because I I had bought my first house, um, and she figured out where I lived and sent a card and said, I know where you live. Um, She sent one card um, to my son saying, you can't keep him from me forever, and it got to the point where her mom, my grandmother had called and we had a conversation about this and we were supposed to be meeting for our birthdays because our birthdays are a day apart and it's, it's our tradition. And instead she made it about her and why aren't you talking to T-Pain? Um, you need to give her a break being raped and going through an adoption is nothing compared to going through two divorces. So you need to get over it. You can't keep her grandson from her. And it became a whole like attack me session. And she even had a card for me, a birthday card and she didn't give it to me because she didn't like how it went because this was me standing up for myself and Saying, you know, this isn't. I, I'm, I'm not gonna. That, that's not the same. It's not the same. And, um, you know that they're two different situations, and we're two different people. And if she wants, you know, if this is hard for her, you know, she needs she needs to talk about it. Like I'm talking about this being hard for me. And we all need support, we're all going through something hard. and you know it was it was just awful. Um, it then transpired into, well you I don't understand why you're keeping or my your son who you gave up for adoption away from us and why you're blocking that off. And, um, he's, he's our family too. And I had, like I had told her, you know, I gave up those rights. Something bad happened to me and I had to do this. And I gave up those rights. It's up to that family. And it would be disrespectful for you guys to go behind my back and beyond me to communicate to this family and meet up beyond me because it's my trauma. You guys are my family. You're supposed to be supporting me and nurturing me through this. And um, at that point, I knew where T-Pain got it. I knew that this wasn't just T-Pain and her growing up being handed everything, this I probably added to it. But this was more. This was generations of a family curse that stopped, hopefully, at me. Um, and it's not hard to go against family curses. It's or it's not hard. It is hard. <laughs> to rebel against the family curses and generational curses of complete narcissism. I mean, I think I am lucky. (laughs) I, this is one of those stories where I'm, I'm, it's just a miracle.
1: Uh, You are breaking a, a cycle and you did it by yourself um, which is very difficult to do Uh, obviously you you met the uh, the right person uh, eventually but even before that I mean to be aware of everything that was going on you know uh, the fact that even in your previous relationship before this your husband, that uh, you stumbled upon a family, this one bad person's family that was so, so supportive of you. So even uh, with all these terrible things going on, these moments of kind of luck or kind of stepped in the way, but you also did a lot of work and knew who you were. And I think it's very difficult for a lot of people that went through would have gone through the same situation that you did that might have not had a sense of, uh, identity in the way that you did. Um, and could have traveled down, uh, worse roads for a long time, but you had, it seems like you always had this strength in you. And uh, so when you were in like your room and you were painting, not painting when you were drawing and you were writing, um, do you feel like that was where your identity of this kind of strength formed while you were in there?
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Nothing could could stop me in that point. You know, I was going to create. That was what I could control. I I can I can't control my environment. I can't control, you know, anything else around me. But I can control this. I can create, I can write, I, I painted, I can paint. These are things that I can control.
1: And when you did the service work, when you did volunteer, did that influence you as far as people in the outside world appreciating you?
0: Um, I think so. It, It gave me a little, a little, a glimmer of, um, of hope that I'm doing the right thing, if anything else. um,
1: And, like, and and your value, that you had value to other people.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it it took me a while to understand that I did have value, but that definitely, it it was a hook, you know. It it, it helped. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So, uh, before we leave today, uh, do you have any uh, last words of wisdom that uh, for people who might have uh, grown up in the same situation that you did currently could be in the situation right now and haven't gotten no contact uh, anything because you know you have really uh, blossomed it sounds like and uh, have transformed what could have been a terrible situation into um, a life that you love and are sound like you are thriving and being the best person you can be. So, uh, let us know how, like your words of wisdom.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing that kept me going was facing uncomfortable situations. Um, and being confident, knowing who you are through those uncomfortable situations. I, I think a lot of people shy away from facing uncomfortable things because it's uncomfortable. Um, but really facing those situations head on, knowing that in the end it's going to be okay. You are going to make it through. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're, the sun's going to go down and, or the moon's going to come up and it's going to go all over again. So, you know, just being able to realize that days go on and you can face it and, you know, that's not going to change that, that really has helped me.
1: Well, Sable, I want to thank you for being on our show today. It was a pleasure. Um, it, sorry, what were you going to say?
0: I said, absolutely. Thank you so much for having
1: me. Uh, Well, it was my pleasure having you here and talking with you. And I think a lot of people will feel less alone by listening to your story. So uh, thank you very much. And for everyone else out there who is listening, I hope you have a good night.